Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Welcome, everyone, to The Good Dirt. If this is your first time here or you're a new listener, we are Mary and Emma, mother-daughter, and we are in the D.C. area. My mom lives on a farm in Maryland, and I live in D.C., we are on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer, and we have an online marketplace, and we talk about all things slow fashion and sustainable living. Every Friday, we release an interview with someone cool to talk about the good dirt, and sometimes we do these little just us chats where we talk about random topics in the sustainable living realm. We also have some internet issues at the (laughs) farm. So sometimes we have to be creative about how and where we are recording. So mom, do you want to tell them about where you are today? Yes. Today, the internet at the farmhouse is not working. So I came down the street to the neighborhood feed store which is a really fun place to be. People come in here getting their food for their horses and chickens and all kinds of things. Also, they've got a lot of flowers right now and a lot of plants, bedding plants, vegetables. It's just, it's really a fun place to be. So if you hear background noise, that's because I am here. In a store. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But But the internet's really good. So yeah. There's also cute little kitty cats. Oh yeah. There's a whole bunch of cats. Anyways, so today we thought that we would chat a little bit about greenwashing, which is such a fun topic to talk about. We love talking about it. It's also super important in this world of information and overload and misinformation and all of those things. And we would love to be a resource to help sort of parse through some of that. So you want to take it away, Mom? Yeah, it seems to have come up a lot in our recent episodes. So we were thinking it'd be good to kind of condense a lot of the things that we say over and over on here and have it and discuss it a little bit more so that people have a reference point when they hear these things. To begin with, what is greenwashing? How would you answer that question, Emma? Well, greenwashing is really, I would say it's a marketing strategy that is meant to capture consumer interests and attention by using 
really current and trending buzzwords like eco-friendly, earth-friendly, sustainable, green, environmentally friendly, not, you know, any of those things that just kind of in our brains we trigger like good or, you know, whatever we've assigned as good or better than or whatever. It's really just like a marketing word. And we say it's a marketing strategy. I don't think that brands sit around going, how can we lie about this? Or how can we brainwash people to think in a green way? It's not necessarily that. It's more that the marketing strategy is not telling the full story. Of course, why would it? Because the whole story probably is not one that that people would be interested in hearing or that they would feel good about telling. So just like in the food industry where there's words like natural and healthy, the food industry has come a long way in that, you know, requires ingredient labels and nutrition information that's super specific. Now there's still a ton of greenwashing there, but at least because it's food, they had to be a lot more specific. But with everything else, like household cleaners and clothing and anything really, it's tricky. So what are some examples of where we see this in the sustainability space, mom? Well, there are a few. The first one that comes to mind is all these claims of recyclable and compostable packaging that you see just about everywhere. And something might be technically recyclable or or technically compostable, but the truth is that they're rarely recycled correctly. There are very specified facilities that make it necessary to get these things really to the point where they could be used again and kept out of the landfill. So really what happens is people see stuff like that and they think, oh, this is great. And they just, they throw it in their home recycling or they throw it in the blue bin that's in the park or whatever. But those things very, very seldom get to where they're actually supposed to be to be processed. So most of that stuff just kind of ends up in the landfill. So we think the better thing to do is to think about the products you're buying and the end life of its packaging. And sometimes we can't do anything about that, but sometimes you can choose paper over plastic or you can double check to see that your home recycling service really does take it. Or I think of that, the example, Emma, of when it was last year doing Plastic Free July And we went out to lunch and our whole lunch came in plastic packaging that they said was compostable. And so we said, oh yeah, that's great. And so we were enjoying our lunch. And then after lunch, we took it in and said, where do we put this? Is this compostable? And the person said, oh no, it it just goes over there. We don't do that. So (laughs) watch out for things like that and just be aware. And also to point out, like to no fault of that person working and even the restaurant itself, whether we have a whole episode about this too, yes. where we talk to a representative from World Centric, who they make the compostable food wear and they sell a lot to the food service industry. And it's not even their fault. It's really a breakdown in the system that there is not something to do with those things on the other side of the use. So it's good. We're like taking baby steps. Like, yes, there should be compostable items. But if you're going to make compostable items, there also needs to be a way to compost those compostable items. So it's a big thing. We don't have an answer for it, except 
just being aware of this and just knowing that the problem isn't solved if it has the little triangle with the arrows on it or if it says recyclable or compostable, there's still unfortunately a certain amount of responsibility we all have to take to make sure that like that's actually happening. Similarly, there is earth-friendly clothing. I'm saying earth-friendly in air quotes. That's made from recycled water bottles. We can have this conversation for hours and hours. But the thing about recycled plastic, especially being used in clothing, is that, well, the main one is that when you wash that clothing, tiny plastic particles come off of your clothing and get into the waterways and end up in fishes' stomachs and our stomachs. And now we are finding that there are microplastics in our bloodstreams. We definitely don't want microplastic pollution. So that's a bit a big contributor to that is plastic clothing. And we're saying plastic clothing, we mean any synthetics, anything polyester. Yeah. And that includes the recycled polyester. So while recycled polyester seems like a fun, attractive alternative, it's not as great as it sounds like it could be. Sure, in some ways, depending on how you slice it, it's better than creating new plastics, maybe, but maybe not because part of our philosophy is like the more that you give kind of an out for people to continue using plastics and like, oh, well, at least it's recycled, yeah. then it's just not helping the problem. So that's how we feel about that. We're, we'd love to have more of a discussion about this. You can always email us, podcast at lady-farmer.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but that's where we stand as a brand, Lady Farmer, the best thing with polyester stretch clothing is like, don't wash it often. If you do wash it, try to maybe even hand wash it and buy secondhand as much as you can and buy as high content of cotton as you can. Yes. Just to sum up that point, when you are flipping through the racks, wherever you're shopping and the label says something like earth friendly or eco-friendly or green, check and see why they're making that claim. And if they're making that claim that is made from recycled water bottles, think again and think in terms of real natural fibers, such as cotton, which is sustainably grown or organic cotton. We talk about this on our last episode, which we will link these episodes below, the ones we're referring to. And truly natural fibers, other than sustainably grown cotton or linen, wool, silk, and hemp. These are the things that you can trust as coming from actual plants, a minimum of chemical inputs in growing and processing, safer for your health in terms of what your skin is going to absorb through all these synthetic materials. We don't really know a whole lot about um, how much the chemical inputs from, say, growing conventional cotton actually is translated into your skin are actually absorbed into your body. We don't, don't really know that yet, but it's a safer bet to choose these things that you know the source of. A great rule of thumb in this is if it comes from the earth, it's probably earth friendly. So that's your cotton again. Yeah. Important note, organic cotton, um, linen, silk, hemp, wool. Those are steps in the right direction. 
then you can look at where and how they were made and all of that. But that's the first sort of level. And then there are synthetically derived plant matter fabrics like lysol, rayon, and bamboo. Again, they say that they come from plants. Sure, maybe that's better than buying full-on polyester. But the problem with those fabrics is that they're super resource-intensive to create to actually take that pulp and turn it into a fabric. So be careful with those as well. So the greenwashing comes in where we are made to think that these leggings made out of bamboo will save the planet. (laughs) Again, it's such a spectrum. Maybe it's a better choice, but just knowing what's going into that choice and understanding that actually it's probably not going to save the planet. What's going to save the planet is understanding that maybe you don't need another pair of leggings. (laughs) Just telling it like it is. Yes. Or try to find a pair of organic or sustainably grown cotton leggings or go to the thrift store and try to find secondhand or use the ones you have as long as you can. This is just a a way of thinking to direct us away from falling into the trap of just consuming more and more things that are harmfully produced. Yeah. We've chatted a little bit about clothing and we've mentioned food a little bit, but was there anything else that you wanted to say about greenwashing as it comes to food, mom? Oh, yes. There's a lot of greenwashing when it comes to foods, especially the term plant-based. There's kind of a mainstream assumption out there that anything plant-based is better for the climate, but that is highly nuanced in that foods that claim to be better for the environment often rely really heavily on crops like corn, soy, wheat, and all this that is very often, most of the time, monocultured. What does that mean? That means that it's grown in in huge amounts. It's like one crop that takes up thousands of acres and it's the same crop. And why is that not ideal? Well, you lose biodiversity in the land and it really destroys the soil over time. Because it's relying on heavy chemical inputs like fertilizers because you're losing that biodiversity. Yes. So it's a complicated system, but monoculture is generally understood across the board, general agreed upon. You know, this isn't like our opinion, but monoculture is not good for the environment. (laughs) And many times these things are grown across the country or from another country. So they have to be transported long distances to make it to the grocery store shelves and they're packaged in plastics or they're actually highly processed foods that are produced in factories. Maybe they are made mostly of corn, soy, wheat, or these things, but they're highly processed. They go to factories to be put together and put in plastic. And so the idea of plant-based is wonderful and local organic plant-based food is good for the climate. But just because something has plant base on the package does not mean you're helping the environment by eating it. So that's, I think, a really important distinction to make. I like the quote from Michael Pollan, if it's a plant, eat it. But if it was made in a plant, don't. I think that kind of sums it up. I feel like we just use a lot of big words and we condensed a really big, complex agricultural industrial system into a paragraph of talking. But like just to use an example, and I'm not calling any one food out or any one, you know, person who eats a type of food out, nothing like that. But 
For example, a package of tofu. Tofu is made from soybeans. Tofu inherently is a very healthy and sustainable food if done in a sustainable way, right? But tofu, especially made in America, is made from soy, which is a huge monoculture, which means it's grown in a big field lacking any biodiversity. Without biodiversity, you don't have the right animals that eat the bugs, so then you need the pesticides. So all of that, and that poisons the soil. Then the soybeans go from their monocultured field to the factory to get made into tofu. And then I'm simplifying it so much, but basically (laughs) all of that going into your package of tofu that we are made to feel like that pack of tofu is so much better for the planet than a pound of grass-fed beef, which depending on what questions you're asking, what metrics you're using to measure impact. Maybe if you use a certain amount of metrics, you are right in that. But the point being, understanding everything that's going into what you are eating. Yes, and I'd like to follow that with saying the flip side of that, eating that product to avoid eating meat because it's the widespread assumption that that's better for the planet when there are actually ways of growing and producing meat that have been demonstrated to mitigate climate change by sequestering carbon, this managed grazing and growing the animals in their natural environment with the native plants and That necessitates biodiversity for that version. Yes. And it contributes to the biodiversity. They fertilize the soil. This is a small but growing industry. And we really want people to know about that. The fact that if you do eat meat, and most people do, you know, something like over 90% of the population eats meat, then you need to know that there is a sustainable and climate beneficial choice. You might have to look for it. You might have to pay a little more for it. But if you can find locally responsibly raised meat, beef, chicken, pork, then many times you are helping the environment. You are helping to mitigate climate change by this sustainable meat choice. Particularly if it's located close to you because then you are cutting out the whole portion of that supply chain that is trucking it across the country probably multiple times. Absolutely. Also, we just want to be clear, like you don't have to eat meat, obviously. No. (laughs) You can eat however you'd like to eat. Yeah. The point that we're trying to make is that plant-based does not always equal minimal impact better for the environment as we are inclined to believe. Everybody has the right to eat as they choose, regardless of your reason for being an omnivore or a vegetarian or a vegan or whatever that is. Actually, not the discussion here. The discussion is purely and simply what Emma just said. Don't assume that plant-based equals better for the environment because that's really not the whole story at all. So that's the point we're trying to make. And I think what it comes down to, which is the whole reason that we started this podcast and everything that we say on this podcast, is what's the impact on the soil? Yeah. Because it all comes down to the soil. And maybe plant-based in some cases could be better. But you need to know about what's happening on that field, where that plant is growing, that's creating that product that you are choosing or choosing not to purchase or 
consume. I think I can safely say that out there in my garden where I have been decomposing mulch for the last nine years <laughs> and I'm growing greens or whatever, I think that those plants are really good for the soil. Yeah. And so I'm excited about eating those plants and I very happily eat lots of vegetarian meals and feel really good about it. For me personally, that's really different from going to the supermarket and buying a box of greens that's been flown across the country in a plastic clamshell and has been grown in a huge monoculture situation with chemicals and with the fossil fuels used to store it, package it, transport it, and all those factors. So to me, there's a huge difference between those two plant-based foods. Yeah. And for anyone who, you know, doesn't have a beautiful garden like you do. Yeah. There's other options. There are other options. So, okay, we have one more category to talk about. There are a lot of categories, but we're just, we're not going to try to cover everything today. But yeah. So what do you think, Emma, about all the, the green cleaning products that come in all these plastic bottles and they use multiple chemicals? What, what and sometimes they even are green colored. Yeah. There's one that's, <laughs> can't remember the brand name, but there's like a green, it's a clear plastic bottle with green liquid inside and it's like green, clean, whatever. Right. The funny thing about cleaning products is that they are kind of pointless because <laughs> most things can be cleaned with vinegar, baking soda, lemon juice, any number of essential oils you want to use to make it smell good. Yeah. Lavender, lemon is great. And then if you need some abrasive stuff, do a little salt in there. And there are countless free recipes on the internet. It's so easy to find how to make these things. I can tell yeah. you right now, half fill up a spray bottle, half water, half vinegar. You have a cleaning spray. Yeah. And you can add lemon. There's just so many combinations of these. And these are like super inexpensive ingredients. But guess who doesn't benefit by us knowing this? <laughs> cleaning product companies. <laughs> the people who make all these cleaning yes, products. Yes. Secrets out. <laughs> you heard it here. I'm very inspired to just throw this one little tip out there that I learned when I was a little girl. My mom showed me at a very young age how to get a stain out of something. You squeeze lemon juice over the stain and rub a little salt into it. And you put it out in the sunshine, the hot sunshine. It works great great stain mm. remover. And also, I remember once we were like in our 20s and your dad and I were at somebody's house and they had, you know, like a white shag carpet and somebody what spilled. age was this? Just kidding. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> somebody spilled a glass of red wine on this white carpet and our friend ran and got a whole bunch of salt and dumped the salt on it. And we watched while it absorbed the red wine into the salt because, you know, salt draws liquid out. Yeah. So, and it'll draw the liquid out of the thing. So I just love knowing that. And think of all this stain removers that are on the market out there. I mean, there's shelves and shelves and shelves of them. So I don't think you can do much better than a little salt, lemon juice, sunshine. Anyway, I just thought I'd pass that along. But yeah, you know, we're made to believe there's a different product for every use. We need to flip that around and say there are a few products from very common items that we all have in our household for many different purposes. Yeah. And if you have the Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living, or if you've been eyeing it, we do have a really fun table in there where we've done a cost comparison of these typical products compared with like their counterpart. And it's fascinating. So there's a couple of recipes in that book too. You know, we say recipes. It's 
recipes is a generous word for it. So, so simple. These combinations of super simple ingredients. And it's so fun and it smells better and it feels better and you don't get a chemical headache from it. And and your cabinets are nice and clean. Yeah. And they're not cluttered with plastic bottles. It's great. So greenwashing. I hope this has felt relatively positive. I think greenwashing is like a mar mar topic because it's awful. I think but- it's always, always good to like end up with telling people what they can do, you know, what yeah. is the solution or what is the approach? So, yeah. So, so is, what is the solution, Emma, to all these things? Well, I think we've offered many yeah. as we've gone along. To boil it all down to maybe a sentence is that you really just need to pay attention to what you're buying and what you're using and what you think you need and why you think you need it. Because we live in a world that runs on us participating in a certain system of buying things. And much of that is unavoidable. Much of that is completely out of our control, but a lot of it isn't. And a lot of it we really can change. So that's the first thing. Don't be duped by fancy words and pretty logos. And just to hit the high points of what we talked about, uh, where clothing is concerned, use what you have, buy thrift first. When you need to buy something new, research truly sustainably produced clothing with truly natural fibers, and you will buy a lot less, and you will be a lot happier with your purchases. Absolutely. And with food, whether you're an omnivore, a vegetarian, or a vegan, always eat as locally as possible. That's the number one. Yeah. So, you know, if you have no local meat around you, maybe vegetarian local is the most earth-friendly. What Again, it's a spectrum You need your own set of parameters and criteria for what's going to feel good and be good for you. The best way we have found personally is to become a member of a CSA, which is a community-supported agriculture program. And if you don't have one near you, maybe you can make one. (laughs) Or go to your area farmer's market. Yeah, farmer's markets. Get to know your farmers, your producers, your vendors. And if you really are so remote and there's nothing near you and you can't grow any food, there are certain sources online of great grass-fed meats and delivery services. Again, carbon footprint, but, you know, everything's a give and take that do have good like sources and supply chains. As with all food, again, buy from a local producer that's hopefully dedicated to sustainable growing practices and support the farmer, support your own health and support the soil. Yeah. Think about the soil. Soil first. Soil number one. The good dirt. Yeah. So it's really good to get into the habit of when bringing any product into your life, just think about the source, find out about the source and learn the story of the product as much as possible. Sometimes you can't. And sometimes if there's no transparency about where the product came from and you really don't have any way to find out, maybe look for an alternative where you can. And here's a really good question to ask yourself. When you buy a product, who are you connecting with when you use this? Is it a giant corporation or is it a human being or a small company who's dedicated to doing things better? Like I said, sometimes we don't have a choice, but it's just something to think about. We hope that this has been fun and enlightening to listen to. And we want it to be a conversation. Like I mentioned before, please write into podcast at lady-farmer.com on email. You can also follow us on Instagram and send us a message in our DM. 
can join the Almanac as the Good Dirt member and you can message us there, find us there, continue the conversation. But we definitely want to hear from you and what you're thinking about this. And it's just so important. Thank you for listening. Yes. And here we are signing off from the Seneca Feed Store. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. We'll be back Friday with an interview. Another amazing interview. And in the meantime, let us know any of your thoughts or insights about greenwashing. Big topic. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. Bye.